the doctrine of the resurrection, following on uh, what we taught on last week, the doctrine of Christ's atonement. And incidentally, you know, we had a lot of interaction in the class last week, and several people said that was really good. They liked that, and so maybe we'll just we'll just kind of I don't know if we should we'll see if we can adjust a little bit and maybe let that happen a little more now. Well, the gospel narratives have several. Uh, uh, Pieces of evidence of Christ's resurrection. And um, I see there's a mistake right there on the very first one. You're not going to find the resurrection in Matthew, Matthew 18. It's just not going to be there. It's going to be in Matthew 28, uh, 1 to 20. And that slipped right by me when I was looking over these, uh, these slides. But in Matthew 28, 1 to 20, Mark 16, 1 to 8, Luke 24, 1 to 53, John 20, verse 1 to 21, verse 25. I won't read all of those long narratives about Christ's resurrection, but we'll just do one, the one from Mark here. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the brother, uh, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. They thought Jesus was still dead. And very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, uh, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at, on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They thought, it was, they thought at first it was a young man. It looked like a man, but in fact it was an angel. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And so all four Gospels uh, bear witness to the resurrection of Christ. But it isn't just those four passages that say Christ rose from the dead. Really, all the rest of the New Testament says that Christ rose from the dead. For instance, if you turn over to the book of Acts, it says in the first book, O Theophilus, that's referring back to Luke, <clears throat> in the first book I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, that is, into heaven, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So here at the beginning of Acts, the author, Luke, is summarizing that and saying, here's more testimony to the resurrection. Jesus appeared to people over a period of 40 days and, and uh, presented himself alive by many proofs, and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. And when he says in the first sentence of the book of Acts, in the first book, that is in Luke, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, the implication is the whole book of Acts is going to be about what Jesus continues to do and teach. So in a way, it's not just the first four verses or three verses, four verses of Acts or first chapter of Acts, but it's the whole book of Acts, which again and again, the Lord does this, the Lord does that, or the risen Jesus uh, <clears throat> helps, uh, they pray to him, and there's a selection of the apostle to replace Judas. Uh, Stephen sees Jesus at the right hand of God when he's dying, in, uh, when he's being stoned. 
And uh, on and on, Acts is the story about Jesus continuing ministry from heaven to build his church. So the book of Acts bears witness to the resurrection. And then the epistles, these letters, they depend entirely on the assumption that Jesus is a living, reigning Savior, the exalted head of the church. Um, and there are prayers to him. There's uh, words of worship directed to him. The, the, the epistles, you, you can't have them unless, unless there's an assumption that Jesus is now <clears throat> alive and reigning in heaven and coming back. <clears throat> and the book of Revelation, it shows how the risen Christ is reigning in heaven, and then John, uh, in the prophecies that are given to him, predicts Christ's return and conquest of his enemies. So, uh, you know, the whole New Testament bears witness to the resurrection of Christ. So it's a, it's a huge doctrine. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a doctrine on which the whole of the church now depends, the whole of the New Testament depends, and the whole of our Christian life depends. Very, very important. Um, now, what, uh, what, what is the nature <clears throat> of Christ's resurrection? <clears throat> I, should, I should say, I'm, I'm not going into here a discussion of arguments where people have said, no, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and then answers to those arguments. There's a whole set of issues surrounding that, and there are a number of excellent scholars who have written on that. Is Lee Strobel coming next week? And so uh, some of his books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, he's amassed some of that evidence. Um, uh, and Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, there's a huge section of evidence there. There's a, uh, a famous book, oh, it's probably 60 or 70 years old now, uh, by a, a lawyer named Frank Morrison, with one R, I believe, uh, who moved the stone. And uh, this was an atheist who decided to uh, set out as his, use his lawyerly skills to disprove the resurrection of Christ by looking at historical evidence and <clears throat> trying to have another explanation for it, and it just didn't work. And in fact, he ended up becoming a believer in Christ, and then he wrote this story about how he did that. So again and again, the, the evidence, I mean, the fact that you had these people teaching, the, the apostles and the early church, teaching a very high set of moral standards, including truthfulness in speech, and they all together <clears throat> are bearing witness to the resurrection of Christ. I mean, that's significant evidence. Uh, it would have been totally inconsistent with the character of life that they lived and they taught if they were lying about this, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. The, the only legitimate explanation, it seems to me, for the growth, sudden growth and explosion of the early church is, in fact, that they were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead and that he did rise from the dead. And, um, uh, and you have the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, independent witnesses. And then... Uh, 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 here, Luke, <clears throat> in the early 60s A.D., uh, early to mid-60s, writing Acts, saying that Jesus presented himself alive to uh, many people, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He's saying there are people who have seen him who, when he rose from the dead. And uh, Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. <clears throat> and Paul is writing this just 20 years after, ballpark 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. In other words, what is this? This is 2007. It would be like me saying um, something happened in 1987, and if you don't believe it, there are 500 people around you can talk to about. It's just 20 years ago. 
1987 is not, for most of us, isn't too long. I can't remember anything that happened in 87, but there must have been something that happened in 1980. Let me see. Stock market crash. The stock market crash, says Mike. What else happened in 87? Ooh. Um, 87. 80, hmm? I don't know where they want to bring, but... <clears throat> was the, when was this Monica Lewinsky stuff? And Bill Clinton, Bill, Bill Clinton was president in 87, wasn't he? Reagan was president in 87. Clinton was elected in 80. Oh, 90s. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, what am I doing here? Oh. oh. Was Reagan president from 80 to 88? Okay. So 87. So what? Uh, something about the Berlin Wall. There's all this. Uh, oh, I know. It was the uh, Iran Iran Contra uh, controversy. Maybe the one one was the Oliver North. I'm trying to get back to '87 here. Uh, Berlin Wall came down in '87. Challenger. Challenger. Oh, oh, the Challenger. Okay. What else? '85. Oh, sorry. Bob. <laughs> oh, collapse of the real estate market in 87. All right, Bob remembers. Okay. All right. Let's see. 87. Okay, I'm just. Okay. Our kids were 7, 10, and 13 at that time. Okay. Well, the point is, all those things you can mention, you remember those things. And if somebody said, oh, the Challenger didn't explode, Ronald Reagan was never president, um, you know, we didn't have the Iran-Contra hearings, and uh, the stock market didn't crash in 87, you'd say, you're crazy. There are all sorts of people around who can talk to about it. They were there. They lived through it. And so this, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time, many of whom are still alive. He's basically saying, here in a public letter to the church at Corinth, he's saying, this is, this is, this is fact. It's historical fact, and there are a lot of people around who actually saw Jesus and talked to him and ate with him, touched his arm or touched his hand. or They, they knew that he had risen. And so when you get evidence like that from multiple authors in the ancient world, multiple authors of high moral standards and integrity, multiple authors, the accuracy of whose other writings has not been disproven, you say, this is massive evidence that Jesus has risen from the dead. Yeah, I, I had a 40th birthday party about then. <laughs> I remember that, and in fact, I could give you names of people who were there if you don't believe it. Okay, that's that kind of proof, okay, that it really happened. And so the whole New Testament bears evidence to the resurrection of Christ, and there's very close to contemporaneous eyewitness testimony. So I think it's solidly established. But it's astounding that Jesus said he would rise from the dead and then actually did. But it isn't just that he came back to life, because, you know, you see these stories of people who are in an auto accident and they People think they're dead and there's no signs of life. And then 10 minutes later, even half an hour later, I've heard people pray for them and they come back to life. And 
So say, well, so what's the big deal about Jesus' resurrection? Well, the big deal, well, he'd been dead from Friday afternoon till Sunday morning, counted as three days and three nights by the Jewish system of counting days. That's a long time. That hasn't, nobody's been dead that long and has come back to life. But it's more than that. It was a different kind of coming back to life. It was, it was just not, oh, here's a very sick man who's just barely recovering and he's going to take weeks to recover. It's, he came back in fullness of strength and health and with a new kind of body that was never going to grow old or die or be sick anymore, ever again. And so here we talk about, number two, the nature of Christ's resurrection. While Christ's death was the culmination of all the harmful results of sin in the world, and we talked about that in the last uh, chapter, uh, his resurrection is a triumphal reversal of all the harmful results of sin. And I'm going to go back to a list I had. In Jesus' crucifixion, he was put to death as a result of a consequence of bearing the sins of the world. But in res resurrection, Jesus was brought from death back to life. And so there's an undoing of the consequences of his crucifixion. In his crucifixion, he, he suffocated. The breath of life was slowly drained out of him by virtue of the weight of his body being suspended from his arms for hours on the cross, and he couldn't any longer breathe, and that's what happened to people who were crucified. But Jesus came back to life, and he had the fullness of the breath of life, uh, the breath of life that uh, God gave to Adam and Eve uh, when he first created them. Um, Jesus was crucified in shame, but he was raised in honor and glory with uh, um, uh, a, a, a dignity and, a, and an honor from the Father, and then ultimately worship from all of us. So shame was turned to honor. He was abandoned by his disciples, abandoned, in fact, when the Father turned his face from him. But he came back then uh, in, the, uh, in fellowship and in the good pleasure of the Father, and uh, who showed his pleasure by raising him from the dead, but also then to renew the fellowship with all of his disciples and ultimately millions of believers brought into relationship with him. Uh, he was forsaken, but uh, now he was uh, reconciled to God. Um, he was filled with pain in the crucifixion. But the resurrection brought to him a, a new kind of body that would never have that kind of pain again. The, the, the crucifixion was undone, and, and all of that pain of, of suffering and sickness was gone. I don't know with our resurrection bodies... Um, this is a little bit of a hard question, but I suspect we'll still be able to feel pain to some degree when we get resurrection bodies, because if you put your hand on a hot stove, it's a good idea to have some signal that you shouldn't leave it there. That is, there's, a, there's a good function of pain. Now, how that works with a resurrection body that can't, no sickness or... Uh, weakness or aging anymore. I'm not sure, but um, or if I try to pound a nail into a board with my fist, I would start feeling right, John. I'd start feeling some pain. It wouldn't work either. <laughs> How do you know? No, <laughs> it wouldn't work uh, because I'd feel some pain, and it would be telling me God didn't make your fist to do that. Try a hammer. 
So um, maybe there'll still be some pain as a warning signal that we're not using our body the way it should be in the resurrection. I, I suspect so. But the pain of, uh, that Jesus suffered, the pain of, of being tortured and actually uh, leading to his death, that's, that's not going to happen in a resurrection body. I don't know exactly how that works. Um, he was condemned and he was brought back in uh, justification or in innocence or in freedom from guilt. But he was condemned for bearing our sin. He had weakness to the point of death, but he was brought back in strength. So you see, it's undoing all this stuff <clears throat> that showed the, the ultimate results of sin. And he had <clears throat> Isaiah 53, there was no uh, beauty or attractiveness that we should desire him, but he was brought back in a great uh, uh, physical, I think a resurrection body has great uh, stunning um, handsomeness or attra physical attractiveness or beauty greater than what we can see in anybody's body today. And he had no possessions, even his clothing was taken from him, and he came back in the resurrection, and uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 said that God has made him the heir of all things. That is, he inherited the universe as his possession, as his inheritance from the Father, and so uh, from nothing to everything. And uh, he was under God's wrath, and he was brought back in God's favor. Now. That is important for us because we don't experience the consequences of sin to the degree that Jesus did in his suffering on the cross. But there is a sense of all of those things that we experience in this life because God lets us go on living in a fallen world and slowly our bodies are aging and growing older and subject to disease and um, and sickness and ultimately subject to death. But Jesus earned for us a resurrection body like his own. And someday that is going to be our possession. Huh. I see the Grants sitting over here. I see two generations of the Grants sitting over here. Now, I know Ed, he's been an athlete his whole life and he's in great shape. But Ed, you don't just look quite as young as your daughter and son-in-law. And uh, what's, what's happening? Even when we're in great physical shape, we just age. It just, it just happens. We grow older. And, and we can't do the things that we could do before just slowly. And that just, that's just part of life. But Jesus is going to give us a resurrection body like, I forgot your son-in-law's name. Abe. Abe. And you're a baseball player, right? I forgot who you played for. You play for Diamondbacks. I should have known that. Okay. Um, so it would be great to have a body that's like, Abe, how old are you, Abe? 24. So you're about at the peak of... <laughs> or right there at that, you're going to stay up there for a long time. Um, so uh, like, like Abe's, or, or better that's never going to be weak uh, or, uh, or age or, or have any deterioration anymore. So Jesus, he purchased for us a um, resurrection body that's like his. So we have life, we have, we'll be brought from, uh, well, um, we'll be brought into a position of honor and uh, uh, stewardship over the earth will be brought into wonderful relationships with one another and with all of God's people. We'll be brought into 
a situation where we won't have suffering and sickness anymore. We'll be brought into a situation of innocence, freedom from all uh, guilt that we'll, well, we enjoy it to some extent. We should enjoy it now, but we'll have more fullness awareness of it later. Brought into a position of physical strength and uh, attractiveness and a, and, a, and a position of having God's favor. So uh, an undoing of the effects of sin that has robbed us of the fullness of our humanity that will be restored. Do you want to, you know, am I making sense here? Questions or comments? No. Okay, we go on. Um, so it wasn't like uh, Lazarus or John, uh, where in John 11, Lazarus was brought back from the dead, but he was going to die again. Jesus wasn't subject to weakness and aging. His body was the first fruits of the, our resurrection bodies. It was made perfect and um, not subject to weakness or aging death or death. And so 1 Corinthians 15 20 and 23 says this. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, aparche, Greek, uh, of those who have fallen asleep, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Uh, this was a word that the, uh, was used in the Greek language of the first taste of the crop. And when you get the first um, early tomatoes off the vine, and you taste them, and they're sweet, and they're great, or the first strawberries, and you say, wow, that's a great strawberry. It's kind of a sample of what the next, what the rest of the crop is going to be like that year, or the first grapes, or whatever. And so um, Jesus is the first fruits. That's saying he's the sample of what we're going to be like in his resurrection body. That's why it's really important to know what Jesus' body was like, because it's the kind of body that we're going to have. Was Jesus recognizable? Uh, did you know what he was like after his resurrection? Well, not immediately. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus started walking, and they were talking to the, what they thought was a stranger who joined them in Luke 24. And, uh, um, and Jesus drew near. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and they talked to him and said, Oh, haven't you heard about these things? And, and we had hoped that he was going to be the one to uh, redeem Israel. And then... But it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And after he taught them about the Messiah, then they began to eat bread together with him. He started to break bread and, and gave it to them. And then verse 31, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Isn't that interesting? That finally they realized who he was, and then they vanished from, he vanished from their sight. Um, and uh, Mary Magdalene at the tomb. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. It was dark. She saw the stone had been taken away. She turned around and, and, and she asked the gardener, where have you laid? She thought it was the gardener. Uh, and, uh, and she saw Jesus standing. She did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, this is the same gospel that says, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. That he, he calls his sheep by name, and here he's calling Mary by name. And all of a sudden, she realizes who it was. But it was dark, and she turned to speak, so, so she hadn't been looking right at him. And you know what it's like? I think it would be a little bit like going to your high school reunion, 
where you can't quite, and then all of a sudden you see, oh yeah, it was you. But but it's if it's not just that, um, it, it's kind of a reverse of that. So if we all could be sort of suddenly 18 years old, and um, you'd see me, and I'd have hair on my head, and and I'd look like I was 18, and then and then Ev uh, would look and say, oh Wayne, I didn't recognize you, because all of a sudden the the effects of aging had gone away. And Jesus, because of his life of suffering that he'd lived, uh, and then this great suffering that he experienced at the end of his life, and they didn't they weren't expecting to see him. All of a sudden, they see him, and it's kind of a, a oh, yeah, it's you kind of moment. At other times, Jesus was immediately recognized. Uh, behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, Matthew 28, 9, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Or John 20, 19 to 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where Jesus, where the disciples were for fears of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Looks like pretty quickly they recognized who he was. So uh, that's a little bit of mixed evidence. I think after a brief moment or so, they recognized who he was but there was a surprise element. And in that road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I want to insist, however, that Jesus had a physical body after the resurrection. It wasn't just, he wasn't just a ghost. It wasn't just something without substance. And I, we, <clears throat> a few years ago, we were visiting our parents in Florida, and there's this big church nearby, and they had this resurrection pageant uh, that we were going to go see on Easter. And so we went to see it, and they had all these actors, and they portrayed the crucifixion, and then they, and then they, uh, you know, the disciples were sad. And then Easter Sunday morning, they got all this, and they got this tomb up there, and the stone is rolled away. And Easter Sunday morning, you get all these hallelujahs and everything, and nobody comes out of the tomb. And where's the actor that was Jesus? He's supposed to come back. <laughs> and, and everybody's singing, and they're happy. About what? Where is he? And afterward, I found him, and I said, why didn't you come out of the tomb afterward? And he said, well, it wasn't the way the script was written. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, they, I thought maybe they'd think this is how you're supposed to do a resurrection, but it sure wasn't a physical resurrection. It was just a bogus resurrection. <laughs> the, the evidence about the physical nature of Jesus' body is very, very strong. Matthew 28, 19, they took hold of his feet. They didn't grab for his feet, and all of a sudden they got air. They took hold of his feet. Uh, Jesus, uh, on Luke 24, uh, he, he just seemed like he was another traveler walking on the road to Emmaus. And, you know, his, his feet made tracks in the dust just like everybody else did. His, his sandals crunched on the gravel, and he took bread and he broke it. He had a physical body. Uh, Luke 24, 30, he took bread and, and broke it. And Luke 24, 41 to 43, um, again, it's another appearance. And uh, they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling. That is just wondering. It's amazing. And he said, hey, do you, have, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. You know why he's doing that? I think he's doing that to say, I've got a real body. I eat fish. It's like you eat fish. Okay. I eat it. That's a, that's a physical body. Um, Mary thought he's a gardener. Uh, and in John 20:20, 20, 20, he showed them his hands and his side. 
Um, Jesus, uh, when Thomas had doubted the resurrection, he said, Thomas, come on, touch my hands, touch my side, see that it's me. Uh, John 21, he prepared breakfast for his disciples. Uh, Luke 24, 39, this is very strong. See my hands and my feet that it's I myself. Handle me, that is, grab hold. And see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. That's very strong. He's saying, you may be wondering what's going on here, but again and again, he's presented himself to people with proofs. He's eating fish, he's breaking bread. And it says, here, take, touch, touch my hand, touch my knee or my foot. Just, it's me. And a spirit or a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And Acts 10.41, the disciples ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Okay, I didn't put this other verse up here, but 1 John as well. He's, he's insisting on this. And uh, I'll just read. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. Well, maybe it isn't resurrection there, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's talking about that Jesus was real. Okay, so a lot of evidence that he had a physical resurrection body. So summary. There was a considerable degree of conformity between the physical appearance of Jesus before his death and after his resurrection. <clears throat> there was probably sufficient difference in his physical appearance for Jesus not to be recognized. Uh, Jesus' body was still a physical body, but it was transformed. Never again able to suffer or be ill or weak or die, it had put on immortality. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrection body is raised imperishable, it's raised in glory, it's raised in power, it's raised a spiritual body. And I would take a minute to talk about those four, um, four terms. Um, and it, this is in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. It's an image of planting a seed in the ground, and then it grows. He said the seed's not exactly what grows. It's, it's different, but it's, it's from the same thing. And the resurrection of the dead is the same. What is sown, that is sown in the ground or planted in the grave, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. That has to do with the fact that it doesn't decay or get old. There's no aging process. So we're going to look 24 and 25 years old forever. You like that? Anybody want to look some other age? <laughs> uh, I think I think that's that's going to be a great joy for us, isn't it? It's not going to perish anymore. It doesn't it's imperishable. It's not going to age. And even Jesus, he's 33 when he died, and uh, um, 33, 34, 35, something like that, uh, and uh, had lived a difficult life, uh, he went back to uh, an appearance of youthfulness and strength. Uh, it's raised in glory. This is interesting because it's contrasted, it's sown in dishonor. And when I did a word study on those two words, they often had to do with physical appearance, uh, what we would call physical attractiveness or beauty. And uh, to be raised in glory means to be raised with amazing um, physical uh, appearance that's just, that's just remarkable and stunningly beautiful or attractive or handsome. Um, and I, there's, there's this quote from C.S. Lewis, said that the, the most uh, horrible-looking human being, if you could see what 
they will be like in the resurrection, it would be so stunning you'd want to fall down and worship. And, uh, of course, we shouldn't worship anybody but God alone. But that's what we're going to look forward to. And I, 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 um, I, I think raised in glory means that God is going to give us a kind of a outward beauty in our appearance, all of us, that, that would just be stunning if we could see it right now or see a foretaste of it. You like that? And Jesus is the, is the foretaste of that, forerunner of that. There's something else here in this word glory, the Greek word doxa. It often is used to speak of the bright light that surrounds the presence of God himself. And I wonder if it doesn't mean there's going to be even some brightness in some some luminous presence about our bodies. I don't know, but there are some verses that talk about that. Uh, there's this example in Exodus where Moses went to speak with God, and then he came back, and his face was shining because of being so close to the glory of God, and he didn't know that his face was shining. Um, and I think it's in Daniel 12 where it says, the righteous will shine like stars uh, in, the, in the kingdom of their father. I don't have the exact wording of that. Um, and Jesus, of course, when he is shown in resurrection, in the resurrection in Revelation 1, in the fullness of his resurrection glory, there's a brightness about him that's like the brightness of the sun. So I'm wondering if even in the, the, the attractiveness or the beauty of our bodies, if there won't even be some brightness about them as we have a, a share in the glory of God. I, um, I'm not sure, but that word glory hints at it. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. <sighs> that has to do with physical strength. How strong? Well, I don't know. I don't think we're going to be like these comic book superheroes. Um, but I'm pretty sure we can ride a bike 40 miles, Bob. Strong enough to be able to do whatever God wants us to do or whatever we want to do in accordance with the, um, with the will of God. And um, I think we're going to look like ourselves, but much better. I think I'll still be able to recognize John. I'll still be able to recognize Sandy. But I'll say, oh, you never looked so good. <laughs> Um, but in power, I, I, I said, you've been working out? <laughs> okay. Um, what's your name again? Kevin. Okay. Um, if, the, if the resurrection body is it, it basically a perfect body, how is it that Jesus still had the marks yep. from the injuries from his death? Yeah. I think, Kevin, I think those are special. I think they're eternal reminders of his suffering for us. I don't think his scalp still had holes in it from the scars. There wasn't blood streaming down his head. I don't think he had his back torn open from the whips and the you know the beatings that he had suffered. I think there were just there were scars on on his hands, maybe his hands and feet, maybe his side, because of the unique 
work that he did in dying for us. I don't think that, um, well, for instance, if someone's had a, an arm or a leg amputated, I don't think that he's going to be hobbling around on one leg in heaven forever. He'll, he'll have a full, strong body. So I don't think any scars are going to remain from our experiences here on Earth. And uh, Ma Margaret has a titanium knee now in her left knee. I think it'll be a real knee with bone and that cartilage that's worn away, that'll all be restored. So, okay. Wasn't it also proof or further proof that he was who he said he was? That's good, John. It was, yeah, Kevin, John is saying, it wasn't it also proof that he was who he said he was? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and he used it that way. See, my hands, it's, it's me, yeah. Good. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, another example would be a person who was beheaded. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be a good idea to get all that back together. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, good. So when we think about that, no, I think those are unique, unique scars. Um, but, yeah. Anything else about resurrection body, John? We're going to have you say it again. When you were, when you were talking about the uh, people who had seen these events in like 20 years uh, that had gone by in 1977. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking that uh, these people saw this and were dozens of people willing to die for the fact that they said that I really did see Jesus, he rose from the dead. They've got to believe that pretty strongly. It isn't just a little plot they made up to deceive people. Good. Good. Yeah. What about here? Oh, um, Philip? No. Ben. Yep. Oh, yeah, Ben. If you die as an adult and if you choose to be a child in heaven, will you be able to be a child in heaven? Oh, a good question. I think we're all going to be adults, but young adults. Would you like to be a child? I'm not sure. Ben, ben doesn't want to, how old are you? Nine. You don't want to miss like 10 and 11 and 12 and all that. Huh? It's pretty fun being a kid. <laughs> That's good, Ben. I like that. Says a lot about your mom and dad too. I'm not sure. You know, it's possible if a child dies and goes to heaven, maybe God will let you be not 10, 11, 12. You know, year after year to get to 25 or whenever your body is at its peak. I don't know. But I know we'll be happy. And we'll say, oh yeah, this is good. And even adults can have fun. Have fun. <laughs> What's, I mean, adults can play baseball and ride scooters and ride bikes. And <laughs> okay, yep, Phil, Philip. 
when uh, John was witness to the resurrected body and partook in some of the activities with the breaking of the bread and the fish, and I, I, I make that assumption. But then when we get to Revelation, and he begins the letter of Revelation, starting about uh, Revelation 1.12, I get the impression that when the Lord appears to him and tells him to get these letters to the seven churches, that he does not recognize them, or at least his appearance has changed yeah. so much from his yeah. initial appearance after the resurrection that it just blows John away. Yeah. Can you help me with that? Yeah. There's something... I, I should read this, Philip, because it's... Phil, right? Yeah. I should read this because it is different. And I, I think it points to the fact that this is not just a man risen from the dead. This is also God himself who is the ruler of the entire universe. And so there's some amazing power and glory that is given to him that's not, of course, going to be ours. And so... Um, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, Revelation 1.12, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. So he's saying, all right, it's like a, like a human being, like a son of man. It's echoing Daniel 7, uh, 13, 14. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, all right, and with a golden sash around his chest, all right. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. In other words... There's, he can see into anything. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. It doesn't mean they were made out of metal. It just they were they were they were that color and looked incredibly strong. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Well, that I think that goes beyond what we will have in our voice. But it's 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 Jesus who commands and controls the universe. So there's something extra here going on. Uh, in his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now this may be symbolic, I'm not sure, because you've got a lot of images in Revelation. And uh, holding the authority over the churches, the sword being the power of his word, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Well, that was like on the Mount of Transfiguration, too. There's just a brightness about him. So that doesn't mean it does, he doesn't have a human appearance, but at least in the power of his voice and the penetrating nature of his eyes, there's something that is just inspiring of worship here. Phil, is that? The lamb. Yeah, I, I do think that. Yeah, I saw one like a lamb. I think that's symbolic. I think that's a because there is a lot of symbolism in Revelation. So yeah, good, good question. Yeah. Okay, and then. The one other thing that John that uh, that Paul says here is it is raised a spiritual body, and a spiritual body. Some people think, oh, that means not physical, but um, I don't think that's it. Um, uh, John says it was sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. That adjective, spiritual, the Greek adjective, pneumatikos. That adjective is used often about people who are obedient to the Holy Spirit, who are subject to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Paul uses it, for instance, uh, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is a command of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 14, about verse 39 or so. Now, that doesn't mean, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or doesn't have a physical body, 
Spiritual doesn't mean that. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, that is subject to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Or Galatians 6, if someone is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. And that doesn't mean you who don't have bodies, but are just ghosts, you restore the person. You who are spiritual, it can't mean that. It means you who are living in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Uh, so if anyone is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are walking with the Lord. So I think spiritual body means obedient to the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, and walking uh, in holiness of life. And the importance of Jesus' physical body is uh, that that's a pattern for us. Can you think of some characteristics of the resurrection body that you especially look forward to? I don't know. Anybody want to talk about that for a minute? Or what you'd be able to do that you can't do now? Haven't done. Right? First thing that comes to mind for me is scuba diving. Why? Because once, 10, 12, 15 years ago, I don't know, I got to be a pastor for an interim pastor for one summer for a church in Hawaii, and they brought our family over there. And one day we went and uh, went to this scuba diving place and and uh, our sons were kind of high school age or early college, and uh, and we were the only people who signed up, just me and Elliot Oliver Alexander. So there's four of us. Margaret came along, she wasn't going to do scuba diving that day. So um, I don't know if they were supposed to do this or not, but the guy got us out about waist-deep water, and he said, okay, this is how you work this thing. Put your face in the water, try it. Okay, that's fine. And he said, here's how you you know, do this for your ears. And he said, okay, let's go. And he took us down about, uh, I don't know, between 20 and 30 feet for... Yeah, about 30 feet for about 20 minutes, and we saw these giant turtles and these fish, and it's unbelievable. Now, he did that because all three of my sons had strong swimming skills. They'd been through these Red Cross swimming life-saving courses, and, and, uh, and um, I had a long time ago, too. And so uh, it worked, but I, I couldn't believe how fun that was. Never done it again. But I want to do it again sometime because those fish were amazing. Incredible, giant that's one thing I'd like to do. What else? Oh, I suppose um, fly a glider or something. I think that'd be kind of funny. What else? Noni? A mind that can remember anything. Ah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> yes. What was that you just said? <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Yeah, what else? E.G.? Uh, just perfect senses, like being able to see and hear. Yes, yes. I expect our senses of taste and smell will be enhanced, at least as good as they ever were. And seeing, yes, no more glasses. Um, and hearing, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Who knows if we'll even be able to see colors that we can't see with our eyes now and the ultraviolet or infrared ends of the spectrum. I don't know. I don't know. Or hear sounds that we can't hear now. When people talk about this heavenly music that can't be described, see, I, I wonder if God will uh, you know, open us up to the ability to hear more and see more than we can do now. And just think of the opportunities for more kinds of music than those of you who are musicians. Mm -hmm. Anything else you look forward to? I think singing. What, man? 
Let me hear that again. I'm going to repeat it, but I don't get it. A bottom in the bottomless laundry basket. There's no more laundry. There's no more laundry. Oh, are you? Do, do, do you help with that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Anything else? I mean, just think about. I just want to let you think about this for a minute. Kind of. It's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? Resurrection body. Ah, eating what you want without taking blood pressure pills or high cholesterol pills. <laughs> okay, and um, and probably our desires will be for those things that are good for us too. And uh, yeah, enjoying the incredible richness of the creation that God has given us. Okay, anything else? I think just running, just um, uh, bike riding. Uh, a lot of things like that should be fun. Yep. What about being sinless? What about being sinless? Whoa, I'm embarrassed we didn't mention that right off the bat. Yeah, because there will be a cleanliness, a cleanness in our conscience, in our hearts, that will say, oh man, that feels great. Um, no, I mean, Yes, we're forgiven of our sins now, but there's still sinful desires that we know that are there that pop up in our minds from time to time, in our hearts. I know, in mine anyway. And uh, those will be all gone. That would be great. Okay. And, and wonderful fellowship. Okay, so um, how does that make you feel? The thought of having a body that's like that. Yes. Great, says Jamie. Yeah. Good. Good. Lots of things. I think it's wonderful. What things would you like to do now but find yourself unable to do because of weakness or limitations? I guess we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, and would these be appropriate to our life in heaven? Yes, I think so. There's something else going on here. And I'm saying God made, remember in Genesis 1, he made the physical creation and he made it good. And uh, it, it, we get a false idea in the Christian world sometimes that only spiritual, non-material things are good, but God made the material creation good. And I think scuba diving, hiking, bicycling, um, all those things, playing baseball, which, which I loved to play when I was a kid. I mean, I thought that was the most fun thing you could do. Um, and uh, those, will, those will be appropriate. They'll be really fun. Um, will, we be, will we be different? Yeah, I think we'll, they'll, they'll be, we'll be different from each other because God made individual personalities and persons. So, E.G.? Will we eat and drink? Because is that where the deterioration comes? I think along with the resurrection, we get a renewal of creation. So the curse where it was brought forth thorns and thistles in Genesis 3, and the creation was subjected to futility. So I think that's going to be undone too. So there's nothing unhealthy about the foods that we eat anymore. E.G.'s not sure. Yeah. What about elimination of waste in uh, if we're eating? Um, Honestly, I think that's going to happen because it's it's real body. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think that 
there will be a goodness to our a goodness to all parts of our existence that'll be different from what we recognize, but I don't know any I don't know any detail now. Okay, let's go on. How should we understand that Jesus was able to appear and disappear suddenly? Uh, and their eyes were opened, they suddenly recognized him, he vanished from their sight. Uh, Jesus himself stood among them suddenly, said, Peace be to you. Or the doors were locked and he came and stood among them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. These passages in Luke 24 and John 20. Um, I, I don't think that Jesus passed through walls. I've heard it in a hundred sermons, probably. Jesus passed through walls. It doesn't say that. Where's the verse? It says the doors were locked and he appeared among them. He came and stood among them. I don't know if he had just been shielded from their sight and appeared, or if the doors were locked and he just was able to open them and, and walk in and appear among them. It's possible. It's possible that Jesus went through a, a hard surface or through a wall. It's possible, but I don't want to teach that because the Bible doesn't teach that. It just says suddenly Jesus appeared. So I'm... I'm a little skeptical about that. It's, it, you know, maybe it's so. What I what I'm nervous about is people thinking it's not a physical body. It's not real. Okay. Now, uh, Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. 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 In, Jesus, in, uh, in Nazareth, Jesus, they were going to throw him over the cliff, and Jesus passed through the midst of them. But I think maybe that was just the fear of God that came on people, and he just walked through suddenly. And, and Philip was transported, yeah, but he was caught up by the Holy Spirit, but his body was transported. So, Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Now, here's an alternative. I can't go into it today, but a friend of mine, colleague who had the office next to me at Trinity Divinity School for a number of years, Murray Harris, a New Testament professor, he came up with a different idea about the resurrection body. He said Jesus was normally non-physical, and he just temporarily took on a physical body when he appeared to people after the resurrection. He would materialize, and then he would dematerialize. Nobody agreed with him. I didn't agree with him. I'm going to explain why later. There was a big controversy at the seminary for a while. Is this legitimate to teach? He did believe that Jesus' physical body actually rose from the dead, but then it got some kind of new form. I'm going to have to come back to that next week. Where are we here? Okay, well, we've, we've got more to go. Uh, one more. Um, um, Sherry. Sherry. What about the fact that God is... God is omnipresent. Yep. And you also can't hide from him. Yep. He's always there. Yep. I believe I mean that tells me he can go through a cave or a house or lots or Yes. Anything. Yes. God and Jesus divine nature is everywhere present in the whole universe. But Jesus human body was just one place at one time. So there's a difference. And God the Father is every place. But Jesus' physical body is just one place because it's a physical body. It's his human nature. Okay? All right. Well, what I want to leave us with is just the joy of expectation that Jesus rose from the dead and his resurrection was an undoing of all the harmful effects of sin and the harmful effects of sin that we experience. So let's, uh, let's pray and, and um, we'll...
We'll see you next week. We'll finish up on this. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have been raised from the dead, that you are the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that in your body you affirm the reality and the excellence of the material creation, the way God made Adam and Eve very good. And you will give us physical bodies that are very, very good, Lord. It will be the source of great enjoyment and in which we will live forever in a new heavens and new earth. Lord, what a hope you have for us, not just that our sins are forgiven, not just that we will be with you forever, but the wonderful nature of your material creation, the earth that you made, and, uh, and the heavens as well, to show forth your excellence and your wisdom. And we will live in that and enjoy it and delight in it with thanksgiving to you forever. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have gone to prepare a place for us and that you now from the right hand of the Father are reigning over heaven and earth and that your kingdom is a kingdom that will not end and that you will come at a time appointed by the Father and vanquish all your enemies and reign on earth as King and Lord forever. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you. We exalt you. We give you praise. Amen.